It's a pleasure to be with you tonight and to address the subject of baptism. But we need to ask, why is there so much confusion about such a simple subject? It seems simple to us because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 8 that it is all plain to him that understandeth. Baptism Babel is what I've entitled this study because it deals with the confusion regarding the subject of baptism, and at the end we'll address where that confusion comes from. The world has a bunch of religions that can be summarized into some broad categories for the 6.8 billion people that are on planet Earth. Christianity is the largest so-called religion, although you know it's made up of thousands of denominations that all call themselves Christians. Out of those 2.2 billion Christians, the majority are Roman Catholics, then Protestants, some Orthodox faith, which is just a modified version of Catholicism, Baptists and the cults that we call the cults like Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Here's a Roman Catholic baptism. You'll notice that this father, which is a title he should not ever have, nor ever receive, nor ever be given by anyone in a religious sense, since the Bible tells us in Matthew 23 to call no man father on earth, this so-called father is pouring a little water over the little baby's head. That's a Roman Catholic baptism. Here's an Orthodox baptism with an unhappy baby. This little, this little guy is going to have to go down three times and come back up in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You can find these on YouTube. They strip the little children stark naked and then uh, bury them in water, sometimes cheating if the child is, is uh, throwing a fit by scooping some water over the head while they have them submerged, a little part of their body. Here's a Lutheran baptism. Again, following the Catholics, they make a big deal about their name as followers of Martin Luther, who supposedly protested against the Roman Catholic Church, but didn't protest on the subject of baptism, because Lutherans believe that baptism regenerates and makes and does the same things to a child that the Catholics do. And there's a Lutheran baptism. A Baptist baptism looks like this, preparing to put that woman under the water and bury her and then raise her again. Here's a Presbyterian baptism. They don't bother with a little instrument to pour the water. They'll just give your head a little rub, and that's good enough for a Presbyterian. Here's a pouring. We've got soldiers that are serving in the field, and this particular soldier is about to be baptized, and you can see the cup of water in the baptizer's right hand about to be poured over the head. This is the Mennonite form of baptism, and others that don't want to bother with an immersion. Now, when you're out in the field, you can still practice immersion, and some soldiers and chaplains are serious enough about it that they will make a baptistry in the middle of the desert. This particular man didn't say, see, here is water. This particular said, see, I have made water for his baptism. And I'm referring to Acts chapter 8 when the eunuch saw an oasis and told Philip, I could be baptized because I can see enough water to bury me. And there's enough water there to bury that soldier. Now here's a picture. We know that Jesus didn't look like that because Jesus didn't look like a woman that had a bad problem with facial hair. Nor did John the Baptist look nearly so civilized. But this is a picture. Now is this how John baptized Jesus? Jesus has just come up out of the water. 
you can see the ripples and he is dripping wet. That is an immersion. Or is this how John baptized Jesus, as most of the world thinks? John just poured a little water over his head. This is the kind of art that is in the art museum at Bob Jones University. Baptism Babel. Why is there so much confusion about a simple subject? Do we dip a baby that is naked three times in water? Or do we pour a little water on their head, rub their little heady? Or do we baptize thinking, conscious, older, mature persons by burying them underwater and raising them up again? We want to look at the Bible's most definitive verse. When we say the word definitive, we mean a verse that defines the nature of baptism more thoroughly than any other verse in the Bible. We're going to deal with the verse in the Bible that says the most about baptism. Christianity, our religion, the religion of so-called 2.2 billion, depends on a proper baptism. The Bible teaches that Jesus was baptized and He is the head of our religion, its founder and its foundation. His apostles baptized others. His apostles taught the doctrine of baptism and wrote it down for us. And every Christian is baptized. In order to be a Christian, you have to be baptized. You can't be a Christian without being baptized. I did not say you couldn't go to heaven without being baptized, because the thief on the cross did, as an example. But you can't be a Christian without being baptized, because it is by baptism in which you identify yourself with Jesus Christ and declare yourself to be a Christian. But it needs to be a proper baptism in order to obey the Christ of the Bible. Otherwise, it's another Jesus and another gospel. The Bible teaches five things about baptism. There needs to be a proper administrator. This is the man who does the baptizing. He needs to be an ordained preacher of the gospel. Baptism needs to have the proper design. That is the purpose or the result of baptism, and it is not to save. Most so-called Christians believe that baptism was designed to save those little babies. But baptism wasn't designed to save, as we're going to learn. There's a proper subject. Should The subject is the person that gets baptized. Should it be a baby? Or should it be someone with an active conscience? Should it be a believer? Baptists have been known for their doctrine of believers' baptism because they baptize believers. The proper doctrine is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only salvation from sin, the Lord of the universe, and our Master while we live here on earth. And the proper mode is how should we baptize Sprinkling, pouring, or immersing? Immersing is a word meaning to submerge or to dip something completely under and then to bring it back up again, which is what the word baptize means in Greek or English. Except it's been corrupted to accommodate the false doctrines of several groups of Christians. Baptism Babel. We want to deal with the most valuable verse in the Bible, and we're going to find out that that verse has been corrupted Three ways in one verse. And I hope that you will appreciate your Bibles, your King James Bibles, when we finish, and that you will see what men have done to some of the verses that are important to us. Now, the Bible teaches five requirements for a proper baptism, and three are corrupted by most so-called Christians. And these three that are here, shown as being corrupted, are corrupted in the verse that we're about to look at. 1 Peter 3.21 Follow along with me. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. 
not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let's break this verse down a little bit so that you can try to get your mind around it. Let's look at the first part that says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Baptism is a figure. It's like some other figure. And it saves us. I'll just go ahead and tell you now that if something is a figure and it saves you, it saves you figuratively. Let's look at what's in the middle, in the parentheses. You can leave these words out in order to read the first part of the verse and the last part, but let's look at them. They have two other doctrines for us or lessons about baptism. First, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. This verse tells us that baptism doesn't put away the filth of the flesh, and we're going to define that. But it does tell us something that baptism is and does do. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. After the parentheses, we have the words, By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you are reading English, you may leave out what's in the parentheses in order to get the flow of what is being taught. So now let's read what is in red. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Water baptism is a figure, and it is related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all I'm telling you at this point. We're going to look at it more closely. When we go inside the verse, we, we see that there is a separate point about baptism that we want to remember. And I know I'm repeating myself because I want you to understand this verse from the inside out. It says that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But it does tell us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. So in the parentheses, it tells us what baptism does not do. And it tells us what baptism does do. The like figure. Let's look at the verse and break down some of its words. The like figure. Whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Well, what's a figure? A figure is a symbolic picture. It's a fig, a figure represents something. It's a picture of reality. It is not reality. It is a picture or a symbol of reality. As when the Bible tells us that Adam is the figure of Jesus in Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. But we had the word figure in 1 Peter 3.21 and we want that word. It's there for a reason. And it's there for an important reason. And it's going to help save us from a great deal of confusion. But it says the like figure in 1 Peter 3.21. We have an adjective modifying the word figure. It tells us it's a particular kind of a figure. It's a like figure. What does like figure mean? Like figure means that there must be two figures in the context. Baptism is one of them because our verse says so. The like figure whereunto baptism. But when it says like figure, there must be another one. There must be two figures here in the context and the two figures must be like each other. Is there another figure in the context? Can we find another figure? Well, let's go to the verse before our verse and see what it says. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, 
while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. We want those last words that lead us into the 21st verse. While the ark was a preparing, wherein, that is, in the ark, there were few, how few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. I thought the ark saved them from the water. It did, literally. But figuratively, it saved them by the water. Because God put them in the ark, and the waters that were used to judge the rest of the world lifted that ark up above the world and set them on a mountain separate from all those that drowned. So it could be said here, and it is said here in the Word of God, eight souls were saved by water, lifting up the ark. Like figure. There are two figures for sure. There is Noah's Ark from 3.20. There is water baptism in 3.21. And the two figures are much alike. Because they both represent Jesus Christ. Now in the first part of the verse, it tells us that baptism doth also now save us. And you might run into someone sometime who will just throw out 1 Peter 3.21 and say, it tells us that baptism saves us. But they won't tell you that it's a figurative salvation because of the first few words of the verse. They won't tell you that it says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. They just want the two words, baptism and save, on the same page and they think they have a doctrine. That's not how we study the Bible. Doth also now save. Figures only save figuratively. Remember what a figure is? It's a symbolic picture of reality. It's a representation of something. Both figures, Noah, the ark, in verse 20, and water baptism in verse 21, both picture salvation. The ark pictures Jesus Christ. Noah and his family were put into that ark. It was sealed up. No one else could get in. No one could get out. And the ark bore them up above the waters, and the waters carried it to safety on Mount Ararat. Baptism pictures Jesus Christ. These two figures are very much like each other. And we know there are two figures, because verse 21 told us there were two figures, because you can't have the word like and the word also a few words later, unless you have two figures that are being compared. Doth also now save. The ark saved Noah and his family, eight souls, eight persons, literally from water. The ark saved figuratively by water. Because there was a figurative picture there of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saved literally by his death on the cross. When he died, he paid for our sins and obtained eternal redemption for each of his elect. Baptism is a picture of his death. It is a figurative, symbolic picture of what Jesus literally did for us. 1 Peter 3.21 Now let's read it again. This part that deals with it being a figure and saving us. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a figurative salvation in water baptism that shows the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does baptism save? Figuratively. Because it's a figure. 
figuratively like Noah's ark saved. It is a figure of Jesus' resurrection. Because that's what the verse is teaching us. When we take out what's in parentheses, you can see it rather closely connected. Paul washed away his sins this way. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, And why now tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. How is he going to wash away his sins? Figuratively. By showing a picture in water of what Jesus did by his death, burial, and resurrection. The mode of baptism is immersion. We have just learned from this verse that baptism is a figure of salvation. It must be like the figure of the ark, and it must be a figure of resurrection. The mode is immersion. That's to put a person's body underwater and raise them up again. Only immersion has a resurrection. Sprinkling doesn't have a resurrection. Pouring doesn't have a resurrection. And so 1 Peter 3.21 is violated by anyone that sprinkles or pours. Okay, let's go back to our verse. Let's look inside the parentheses at the first of the two lessons about baptism. Peter writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and tells us, Baptism does not put away the filth of the flesh. Filth of the flesh, what is that? Sins of your sin nature. As Colossians chapter 2 would describe it. The sins of your flesh. The word flesh in the Bible can refer to your body, your flesh and bones. It can refer to your old man, meaning the sinful part of you. And the filth of the flesh is the sins of that fleshly part of you called the old man in the Bible for those who are saved. It's sins involving the body. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and Jude chapter 1 and verse 8. The filth of the flesh is filthiness when we use our bodies or when our old man is sinning against the Lord. That's the filth of the flesh. That's the way the Bible uses these words. Baptism does not put away sin. That's what we're learning inside the parentheses. Because baptism only saves figuratively. We learned it in the first part of the verse. What we're about to learn in a minute is that it is the answer of a conscience already good. A good conscience is a forgiven conscience. And so this conscience is already good before baptism. Jesus by himself put away our sins according to the testimony of Scripture. And he did it by his death and resurrection. When we are baptized in water to show a picture of what Jesus did by his death, burial, and resurrection, that doesn't save us. It's a figurative representation of what Jesus did to save us. That's why it needs to include a resurrection. The design is symbolic. Remember, one of the five things that we need right for a baptism to be pleasing to the Lord is a proper design. Is baptism designed or was it ordained to save people? Or was it designed or ordained to give a symbolic representation of how we are saved. It only saves figuratively, just like 1 Peter 3.21 tells us. Baptismal regeneration is a lie. That is the doctrine of most of so-called Christianity that believes that infant is regenerated when when it has water poured in its forehead or a little bit of water sprinkled and rubbed into its hair. 
that it is regenerated. It's called baptismal regeneration. That little infant becomes a child of God, a member of the church, and if the church happens to be a state church, a citizen of the nation as well. Baptismal salvation is a lie. It does not take away our sins, which are called the filth of the flesh in this verse. The design is symbolic because the Bible tells us that quickening, which is another word for regeneration or being born again, is from death. So there's a spiritual death that needs there needs to be life given to it. And that doesn't take place in the waters of baptism. It doesn't tell us that in 1 Peter 3. No will of the flesh can be involved because John 1.13 tells us that we are born not of the will of the flesh. That means a fleshly person with their will to be baptized cannot go into the waters of baptism and come out a spiritual man because John 1.13 tells us it is not of the will of the flesh, nor is it the will of man. So you can't have a godparent representing you do you think that the Holy Spirit understood about Godparents in John chapter 1 and verse 13? Indeed. Nor can you have someone baptizing you or parents taking you to church to help you get baptized when you're young to help you get born again because it's not the will of man that is involved. Your will is cut out. Others' wills are cut out as well. And no works of righteousness are involved in being regenerated because the Bible tells us that. Let's look at the second lesson that is in the parentheses. But, that but is there to contrast with what he has just told us baptism does not do. There's something that baptism does do. Or that there is a positive virtue of baptism that we want to look at. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. First of all, it's the answer of a conscience. Baptism requires a conscience. That conscience needs to be able to understand guilt and forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. That conscience better be able to declare commitment of life to the Lord Jesus Christ. An infant can never do these things. An infant does not have a conscience. You can put your little boy infants in a bathtub with little girl infants, and they'll play with each other in total innocency. And they will generally do that to around the age of five. And then they know that they are naked. And they will make a difference. They'll start slamming bathroom doors because they don't want anyone seeing them. Because a conscience is coming to life. You say, well, I didn't want anyone to see me at two. Well, you were a precocious young infant, you. I have just gave that as a general rule. About a conscience. But it also says it's the answer of a good conscience. A good conscience is a forgiven conscience. It's a conscience that has been made clean of sin. It feels free and liberated by some message that has told it its sins are forgiven. It knows the gospel news is for him. A person with a good conscience has heard the gospel and believes that message is not only true, but that message is true for me and my sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again the third day. A good conscience is an answer for God's cleansing of that person's guilt, that person's sins. It is not a request for His cleansing. We don't go toward the waters of baptism with a defiled conscience 
looking forward to getting under the water, that the water is going to make the change. The water and baptism is the answer of a good conscience. Not the request for a good conscience. Not the means for a good conscience. The means of our good conscience is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does a conscience become good? It hears the gospel and believes it. Listen to Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is in the epistle to the Hebrews where Paul is teaching converted Jews that the Old Testament could not save them, and that is why there was a repetition of all their sacrifices every year, because their sins were never completely taken away. But how much more than those Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, purged their conscience? That's where they got the good conscience, from hearing the gospel message about Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that never had to repeat His sacrifice. And they were baptized with that good conscience. How does it become good? It hears the gospel and believes it. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Someone might say by hearing that verse read, Look it! It says sprinkling! It says sprinkling! And it's got the word water in the same verse. The sprinkling upon your heart that cleanses you from an evil conscience is the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1-2 tells us, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, why is the word sprinkling used? Because the title of the book in which it is found is Hebrews. The Hebrews understood about blood being sprinkled on the doorposts and the doorway at Passover. The blood being sprinkled upon the mercy seat. They understood what sprinkled blood meant. That's why the word sprinkled is used. It's not because Paul was a secret Presbyterian. And our bodies washed with pure water. Notice, that is baptism. And that body there being washed is not being sprinkled, it's being washed. When was the last time you just put your clothes on the floor and shot them with a squirt gun and then put them back in the closet? Or did you put them in a clothes washer that buried them under water and twisted them around and thrashed them around for about 20 minutes to make sure they were underwater? That's washing. The subject is mature. What we have, what have we just learned when it said that baptism is the answer of a good conscience? The subject or the person that gets baptized needs to be mature enough to have an active conscience. So only mature consciences are right. Believing the gospel is prerequisite. Believers baptism is a true doctrine. Guilt and forgiveness are crucial. And that conscience needs to understand those things, believe them, and want to live by them. Commitment is also necessary because that is what we do when we answer God. Jesus did this for me. When I rise up out of that water, I'm going to walk in the newness of life just like He rose up to walk in a holy life to please His Father. 
That's taught in Romans 6, 3 through 5, and Colossians 2 and verse 12, and Colossians 3 and verse 1. The subject is mature. Infants can never come close to what 1 Peter 3.21 expects. Infants cannot believe. They cannot answer. They cannot commit. So what do people do? What do these other Christians do that sprinkle or pour on little infant babies? They invent godparents. So they have the godparents believe. They have the godparents give the answer. And they have the godparents make the commitment for the child. Would you show me a verse in the Bible that speaks about godparents? Now I can show you books about the mafia that speak of the godfather. But show me one in the Bible. What else do they do? They require confirmation later. Then you have to invent another sacrament. That when the child grows up to be able to figure out that there are 26 letters in the English alphabet and the first one is A and the last one is Z, that they need to be confirmed in the Holy Catholic faith or the Lutheran faith or the Presbyterian faith. Let's go back to our verse. I hope you know it better. 1 Peter 3.21 The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The design is in those words that are in red on this slide, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. The design is not to save us. The design is not to wash away sins literally. The design, the purpose, the intended result is not to wash away sins literally or in reality because it's a figurative ordinance. The subject is contained in these words. The subject is the person that should be baptized. They are a person that believes the gospel, comprehends it, the guilt and forgiveness of sin, and is ready to commit to the Lord Jesus Christ because the words of Holy Scripture are, it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. The mode. How is the mode taught in this verse? Because it is a fig, baptism is a figure. That means it is a symbolic representation or picture by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shows us a burial and a resurrection, just like Romans 6, Colossians 2, 12 teach and 1 Corinthians 15, 29. So there are the three proprieties. There are three of the five things necessary for a baptism to please God. When we look at Christianity again, and now I have Christianity in quotation marks because that's how we should understand it. These are people who use the word but do not follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, the founder, head, master, rabbi, teacher, prophet, apostle, and high priest of our religion. There's the 2.2 billion on earth that make up so-called Christianity. They corrupt the design by teaching that baptism saves. And or they corrupt the subject by applying water to infants. And or they corrupt the mode by pouring or sprinkling instead of immersing. Those are the three things they do to the precious doctrine of baptism. It is no longer designed as a symbolic picture of what Jesus did. It in itself is the reality of having your sins washed away and being regenerated. 
instead of having a person give the answer of a good conscience, they take little infants that have no conscience. And therefore they have to invent godparents and confirmation to accommodate their multiplied errors. And they corrupt the mode by not requiring immersion and settling for sprinkling or pouring. Christianity, Roman Catholicism, wrong on all three points. Protestants, wrong on all three points. Orthodox, wrong on two points, because at least they do dip their naked little babies three times. The cults are wrong on one or more of those points. 95% of Christians are wrong on baptism. One of the simplest subjects in the Bible. If you were to simply read from Matthew to Revelation, you would not arrive at what Roman Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, or the cults practice. What about the Bible? What do they do with the Bible? They change the Bible to fit the lie. They remove Acts 8.37 altogether. They corrupt 1 Peter 3.21 three ways. They must remove the three points that I just taught you. Here's the King James Bible. I'm going to read it again to you. Please follow. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does the New American Standard do? And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the New American Standard says, and corresponding to that, they are teaching that there is only one figure in the passage. The figure is in verse 20. It's Noah's Ark, and Noah's Ark was a figure of baptism. The New American Standard Version says that baptism doesn't remove dirt from your flesh. Did you have, ever have any doubts about that? Or have you ever met anyone that may have been leaning toward that error of thinking that the purpose of baptism was to wash dirt off your flesh, off your body? The New American Standard Version says that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. So we approach the waters of baptism with an evil conscience, and we go under the water, and the H2O washes our sins away, or it's poured and rubbed on our foreheads, and then we get a good conscience? The New American Standard, baptism is no longer a figure, but the ark is a figure of baptism. So any mode will do. Because it's no longer a figurative ordinance. Second paragraph. Baptism does not wash dirt from your body, is what their Bible says, but it can still wash sins away. So the design can be to regenerate. Third paragraph. Baptism is no longer the answer of a good conscience, but it is rather the appeal to God to get a good conscience. So the subject could be a baby. Because it takes away the act of conscience answering. The New International Version. And this water symbolizes baptism. Notice there is no like figure. There is a figure in verse 20 of Noah's ark in the water. And that water symbolizes baptism. I don't want to be baptized in water the way that the flood baptized people. Do you? They didn't come up. 
Not the removal of dirt from the body. This is the New International Version. But the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New Revised. And baptism, which this prefigured. When it says this prefigured baptism, what is the this referring to? Noah's Ark. And baptism, which Noah's Ark prefigured. They only have one figure. Noah's Ark is the figure of baptism. Now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These Bibles are all the same, aren't they? How do they keep getting copyrights on them and keep selling them? There's only two Bibles in the world. There's God's Word in the King James Bible in English, and there's the devil's counterfeit of all the others. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep reeling through a few of these. The English Standard, baptism, which corresponds to this, that is to the ark, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it says that baptism doesn't remove dirt from the body, it is allowing that baptism may wash away your sins. Do you understand that? When it says that Noah's Ark was a figure of baptism, do you understand that it's telling you that baptism is not a figure? It's the fulfillment of a figure. It is the antitype of the type. The New Living Translation, and that water is a picture of baptism. The flood is a picture of baptism. That is immersion. Which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism becomes effective, and this is, this is pure Catholic doctrine. Jesus Christ washed away sins at the cross, but that blood is applied to you in the waters of baptism. That is Church of Christ doctrine. It becomes effective in baptism. It was made effective by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's applied to you and becomes effective in baptism. Now, what about the New King James Version that is supposed to be a King James Version? There is also an antitype which now saves us. What does the word antitype mean? It means that there's only one figure and one type in context. It's Noah's Ark, and baptism is the fulfillment of the figure of Noah's Ark. The Ark was the type. Baptism is the antitype. In a New King James Bible, taking away the figure of baptism itself that we need to understand what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is doing in this verse. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is in this verse because water baptism is a figure, a symbolic picture, a representation of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. How are 95% wrong? Tradition of the Roman Catholic Church is put above Scripture. And the Protestant churches have done this. Martin Luther may have nailed 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. But he did not change the doctrine of Roman Catholic baptism. Neither did the Methodists. Neither did the Anglicans or the Episcopalians. Neither did the Presbyterians. They didn't change the doctrine. Tradition is put above Scripture. They will not be fools for Jesus. To be baptized in your clothes and buried under water is to be a fool for the Lord Jesus Christ. 95% of them won't consider it. They want their little infants in beautiful christening gowns, fancy ceremonies, God, parents present, 
candles lit, fancy big books opened, and special little sentences read, a little bit of salt pushed in the baby's mouth, chased the devil out the side door of the church, and over 100 other little inventions that they've added to the doctrine of baptism. We will meet at the riverside, the seaside, in a swimming pool, or anywhere in the middle of the desert with some sandbags around it where soldiers have emptied a few canteens, and we'll immerse you. But that's being a fool for Jesus' sake. The truth is for few, like eight. There were only eight that believed the truth that it could rain in the days of Noah, even though Noah tried to warn them for 120 years. And the the previous verse told us wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Never forget that, brethren. We we should ask, how are 95% wrong? And then we should answer it from the Bible. They have put human tradition over Scripture. They will not be fools for Jesus' sake. And the truth is only for a few. And God sends strong delusion for men to believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. How can they be wrong on the doctrine of baptism? What should we do tonight? Believe God's record of Jesus Christ. Do you believe everything God declares of His Son coming into this world by a virgin birth, living a perfect life for 33 and a half years, 30 years of age being baptized by His cousin John the Baptist, down in the River Jordan, buried and raised from water, then dying on the cross, being buried in the ground for three days and three nights, which he had prophesied was as long as he would be there, and then rising from the dead in order to pay the penalty of death for our sins and to wash us free from all our guilt and uncleanness and wickedness before God. Believe the record that God has given of his Son, Jesus Christ. God's declared it. There are three witnesses witnesses in heaven that bear record to it. And he has given three witnesses on earth, and this is one of those witnesses. And the Bible declares the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that record. If you believe it, then get baptized. If you are old enough to have a conscience that fully comprehends and understands guilt and forgiveness of sin, and a conscience that is able to understand trials and temptations of the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life, and you are committing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are headed toward the age of baptism. If you believe the record that God gave of His Son, you need to be baptized. If you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven without baptism. But if you want to give God the answer of a conscience that is very thankful for what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ, you want to be baptized. If you are baptized, let's live like it. If we've been baptized, which is ordinarily a once-in-a-lifetime ordinance, I wish we could repeat it annually or weekly just to remember what we're saying. We're giving God the answer of a conscience for what Jesus did for us, and we are showing, as I taught this past Sunday from Romans chapter 6, verses 1-5, through that we are buried with Him in baptism into His death to show that we are killing and burying our old sinful habits, our old sinful thoughts, our old sinful ways of speaking and living, in order to rise up with a resurrected life, to live a holy life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and the commands of Scripture. If you're baptized, this is what we ought to draw from this lesson, 
Let's live like it. Let's live like it tonight. And if all the above is true, let's love your King James Bibles. Your King James Bibles have a true 1 Peter 3.21 that teaches design, subject, and mode in one verse. And the other versions do not teach subject, design, or mode. And they have corrupted that verse. If you are impressed when I show you the verses that they have taken out of the New Testament, and there are over 50... Or if you are impressed when I show you the large portions of verses that they have deleted, and there are over 200, I want you to also appreciate the more subtle changes that they've made in God's Word that are not so easily identified. And it's verses like 1 Peter 3.21, where they have most of the words, but they have altered the doctrine three ways. I hope that you understand 1 Peter 3.21 and would be able to explain it to someone else. And for those of you that are so inclined, I hope that you will learn it well enough to be able to defend it to others. And there are many more things that we can learn about baptism.